Copyright is a grey area in music. There's no defined line between what is inspiration and what is plagiarism. Today's story is a copyright battle between a publishing firm that owns the rights to a children's song and the iconic Australian rock band Men at Work. A copyright battle that fell right in the middle of the grey area. One that should have been thrown out because of how close of a call it was, but ended in a ruling that sent Men at Work essentially bankrupt and caused the downward spiral and eventual death of one of the band's members. This episode is called Kookaburra, the music copyright problem. I'm sorry, I just can't... You've got a lot of things to say, why don't you just say I don't mean to be The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. The sound age. I'm going to start today's episode with a timeline of how things went down, and then I'm going to finish with why this case was totally wrong and why cases like this might actually become the norm going forward. So in 1932, there was a school teacher by the name of Marion Sinclair. She also worked for the Girl Guides, and one day after church, she wrote a little song called Kookaburra. It became a popular campfire song for her Girl Guides, and in 1934, it was entered into a Girl Guides Association song competition. The winning song would be auctioned off to raise money for a Girl Guides camping ground. Marion Sinclair's song won the competition. For those who aren't from down under and have never heard of the song, here is a children's choir singing the song Kookaburra. Fast forward nearly 50 years to 1981, and a Melbourne rock band are exploding out of the pub rock scene. They're called Men at Work. They've just written what will become their biggest hit. It's called Land Down Under. Now, Marion Sinclair, the copyright owner of the song Kookaburra, she died in 1988, seven years after Men at Work's song was released upon the world and played on every radio station in Australia. In 1990, Marion's estate would sell the ownership of Kookaburra to Larrikin Music. Larrikin Music is a publishing company known for buying up children's songs, recouping their investments through streaming royalties and sync deals. Now, this is a very common thing in the industry, especially for songs like Kookaburra. After all, the song would have almost no worth to the Sinclair estate without the publisher's expertise. Now, both songs continued on through the decades, both in very public domains. Both had an international audience and both were very rewarding financially for Men at Work and Larrikin Music. And then in 2007, this happened. Next question worth two points. Have a listen to this. Name the Australian nursery rhyme this riff has been based on, as well as the name of the man playing it. It's Men at Work. Men at Work it's, down it's, under. It's, uh, Greg Ham is the flautist. Greg yes. Ham of Men at Work, yeah. yes. And Down Under is... No. We don't know the rhyme. That riff has been based oh. on a nursery rhyme. All right, I'll give you one more listen to it. This bit especially. 
Kookaburra is sitting in the old gum tree. That's exactly right. That was a snippet from the Australian music trivia TV show Spicks and Specs. A representative from Larrikin Music was watching the program that night. It's noted in the court cases that this was the first time anyone at Larrikin Music had made any connection between the flute riff in Land Down Under and the melody of Kookaburra. In 2009, Larrikin Music sued Men at Work for copyright infringement against their all-time biggest hit. Now for the non-musical ear out there, let me play the exact flute line next to the exact melody line. That's it. The whole case is based on that. I'm not going to bore you with all the details of the court case, so I'm just going to sum it up for you. Larrikin Music argued that Men at Work stole 60% of the melody of Kookaburra. Therefore, they wanted 60% of all revenue Land Down Under had ever made. The band, on the other hand, they argued on several fronts. First of all, the song was originally gifted to the Girl Scouts. Therefore, it could technically not have ever been sold by the Marion Sinclair estate. And secondly, because influence and homage to culture doesn't fall under copyright, a song about Australia, borrowing a few notes from a uniquely Australian child's song, is not theft, they argued. If anything, Land Down Under is a song about everything that is Australia, including the song Kookaburra. Incredibly, the courts disagreed. Although the royalty percentage was amended, the punishment for stealing the 1932 Girl Guide song was 5% of all profits for the entire history and future of the song. Men at Work in the 80s were huge. That album sold 20 million copies around the world. They were making big money. They were living the rock star life. And over the decades, sure, they're still well known, but they're not playing 200 concerts a year anymore. They're not on nighttime comedy shows in America anymore. They would be on nice wages, but nothing extravagant. They would have spent a lot of their fortunes they made 40 years ago. Now, they were essentially being handed a fine, with legal fees on top. The overall cost was $4.5 million. And then Gregory, who felt incredibly guilty about having played the line, unconsciously or not, he goes downhill and can't seem to... conquer whatever demons were going on and he goes he dies a post-mortem examination of the body of men at work musician greg ham has found his death was not suspicious the 58 year old's body was found at his carlton home yesterday morning friends say the plagiarism case involving the band's hit song down under had devastated him and he was struggling to come to terms with it in the months before his death on April 19th, 2012, Greg Ham, the flute player who originally played the line that caused the lawsuit, was found dead in his Melbourne apartment. Alcohol and drugs were a factor in his downfall. The court case crippled the band and played a part in the death of Greg Ham. Now that's the story. In this episode, I want to try and explain why this was all so wrong and the problem with copyright infringement as a whole. 
You see, the legal area of copyright claim is so messy that on any other given day with any other courtroom, this case could and probably would have been thrown out. For starters, 5% of a 3 minute and 41 second song for two bars of one instrument that doesn't exactly match the original song is outlandish. If it was proven in court that Greg Ham had consciously and maliciously stolen two bars of the song, at best they would be worth maybe half a percent of the song. Yes, it can be considered the hook which gives it more weight, and yes it is a catchy part of the song, but no one in their right mind would ever say five seconds of a flute solo is worth one twentieth of a whole song. The second point here is probably the strongest argument of all. Land Down Under is an iconic song that has stood the test of time. Larrikin Music was an Australian publishing company working with Australian music. With all their employees over the years, there's no doubt they had heard the song Land Down Under before. It wasn't until a trivia show wrongly suggested the riff was lifted from Kookaburra that the publishing company did anything about it, some 27 years later. In this situation, it really was a victimless crime. The songs are in totally different domains. They would not have affected each other's potential to make money. No one could possibly argue the song Kookaburra was the reason Land Down Under became a financial success. No one was financially burdened by this apparent theft. What other victimless crimes could be brought to a court 27 years later and only after hearing someone else mention it? It's insanity. So that's when it comes to motive, something that is not considered in copyright claim but really should be. Larrikin Music is a publishing company. While the people that work there, I'm sure they're music fans, their job is to exploit the songs they own for financial profit. Marion Sinclair was alive for seven years after Land Down Under was released and we can't assume what she thought when she heard that song, but we know it was never enough for her to claim copyright infringement. So now a company completely removed from the art of making music whose sole job is to create income from the music is gifted this gem from a TV show in what they now see as an easy income stream. How does that not factor into this case? Is there any regard to the artists? No, it's a financial decision only. What is theft when it comes to creative license? Every song, every sound begins with an idea. Those ideas have to be influenced by something. Land Down Under is a song about Australia. It uses unique Australian slang words. It mentions an iconic trademarked Australian breakfast spread in Vegemite. And it fiddles around on a flute that resembles an iconic Australian kids song. That's not theft. That's what you call painting a picture through words and sounds. That's what you call telling a story. Let me show you what plagiarism sounds like. Does that sound familiar?
That was a clear-cut case. Ed Sheeran stole that song. He is a thief. And he was rightly taken to court and paid an undisclosed amount in settlements. But here's the thing. The Kookaburra case was not this. It was a company exploiting a song for profit. In the changing landscape that is music, where traditional CD sales are not the income stream they once were, artists are more and more likely to be selling the ownership of their songs, either to labels or publishers or as NFTs. The new owners of the song have no sentimental attachment to the song, they're driven by investment, by making money, by exploiting the music, and because of this, copyright infringement will become a lucrative business in the future years at the expense of the artist. How's this for a crazy story? This episode is one week late. It was actually meant to go up last week, but it was pulled because of the use of copyrighted music. Now, using copyrighted music in a podcast to tell a story or for commentary is considered fair use. I'm allowed to use this. I can use a snippet of Land Down Under in this piece without having to pay for its use. But do you want to know what song was flagged? Kookaburra. I had to shorten the usage of the song Kookaburra and use a lower quality version for this episode to be aired. This is going to keep happening as more and more private investors and labels and publishers own a greater share of copyrighted music. You know, the declining sales mean more desperate attempts to make income streams. Copyright law has to be amended to scrutinise the motives of these people suing the songwriter. The time it takes to even notice a similarity, that has to be taken into account. The grey areas have to be better defined. Were the similar sounds intentional or was it a happy coincidence? These things are more important than single notes on different instruments. There are only 12 notes in Western music, eight in a major or minor scale. And commercial music has only been around for less than a hundred years. There are more commercial songwriters alive today than there are dead. As that stat changes and more song ownership falls to private companies, if these grey areas aren't fixed, then petty attempts to gain income will continue to rise at the expense of the art of writing songs. Thanks for listening to The Sound Age. Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree, merry merry king of the bushes he. Laugh, kookaburra, laugh, kookaburra gay, your life must be. The Sound Age.